Welcome to episode 55 of Oscar Sunday, a best picture showdown. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Gary. Let's do this. Yes, sir. Today we got the 26th Academy Awards. Of course, we're in the 50s because that's what we've been doing for the past fucking month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, got, we got 1953 movies uh, from here to eternity, of course, is the winner. And this is both of us. Uh, we consider ourselves, you know, cinephiles. And this is our first time seeing this movie. Yeah. I, I got to say, I, I kind of loved it. <laughs> it is not what I expected. It's very much its own thing, uh, a trailblazer in many different ways. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. I knew I knew I was going to like this. I knew it just reading about it, looking at the cast, and just there was no way this was going to slip under my radar. Yeah, and it just seems like we both have had this on the back burner for so long, this, this movie specifically. Uh, so it felt right as far as the fifties winners go, here's one right in front of us that we haven't seen. That's just a total classic. And as we, you know, we'd covered, let's see anatomy of a murder, the African queen rear window and uh, the defiant ones. Yeah. So different years in the fifties, we've done a lot of fifties episodes on the show, actually more, we've done the more fifties movies than any other decade on this show. <laughs> uh, you know, we're going to be jumping into a new decade starting next week. Uh, and later on in the show, we'll talk about that. But we're still in the 50s here today on episode 55. Uh, we're going to be ranking the Best Picture nominees later, which is, you know, of course, From Here to Eternity, Julius Caesar, The Robe, Roman Holiday, and Shane. We both got kind of, a, a, you know, ranked them one through five. So that'll be a lot of fun. We've got our own awards to give out. But this film, like you said, it's not going to go under our radar. There's a reason. I mean, I have 13 individuals here to talk about uh, that all have... Oscar nominations or Oscar wins. It, this, this film is just loaded with people who were seen as, uh, like you said, trailblazers during their day. Absolutely. This is, you know, huge. This movie is huge at the time. You know, I'm sure getting all these guys together. I mean, these guys were A-listers at the time. You got Burt Lancaster, Frank Sinatra, yeah. Montgomery Cliff, Donna Reed, Deborah Kerr. I mean, this is, you know, this is enormous and effective and, made not that long after world war ii and really does not hold back from its uh condemnation of a lot of things uh i'm surprised this film was made at all considering you know what we've talked about over the past few weeks and apparently in a lot of our episodes goddamn Hayes code and how restrictive it was in the way that you know good and evil were so simple this film crazy really kind of steps on that. Mm -hmm. I would love to kind of try to figure out how this was able to go as far as it went. Yeah. It, it seems to cross the, like cross that whatever Hayes code line. Right. Yeah. It's, it seems to kind of be teetering on it the whole time, the whole, you know, it's two hours and it kind of does that the entire time. Uh, and you gotta, give, you gotta give credit to Fred Zinneman, the director. Uh, good Lord. This is a dude that's come up on this show a few times because he's got 
loads of nominations, loads of cool movies that just meant a shit ton to, you know, old Hollywood. And I think we have to start with him. I, I just think we have to. He's the he's the man in the chair for from here to eternity. And like I said, a lot of other really, really, you know, well, uh, critically acclaimed films, well-received films. Uh, so uh, bear, bear with us here. Uh, he's got Oscar nomination for Best Director, The Search, 1948. Uh, Oscar winner for Best Documentary, called Benji in 1951. Nominated for Best Director, Fucking High Noon, 1952. Oscar winner, Best Director, From Here to Eternity, 1953. Oscar nominee, Best Director, The Nun's Story, 1959. Oscar nominee for Best Director again, The Sundowners, 1960. Uh, now, that's the first time you and I on this show really like brought him up. And that, that just kind of sucks, right? Because we didn't really like that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, the, that's probably the biggest I've looked a fool on this show. Because I just didn't recognize the name. And I didn't know how many incredible films he'd done. And I just thought The Sundowners is horseshit. Yeah. Praising this guy. But now I know. So, yeah. Mea culpa. I'm probably going to be apologizing for that one for fucking ever. <laughs> but, but then we made up for it by doing a, our own high noon episode, right? And I believe uh, both of us were just kind of high, flying high that whole episode. So, that the movie is so goddamn good. And you called From Here to Eternity a trailblazer. High noon is as advanced as it gets from, from the fifties, it, uh, I would put it on the same level as anatomy of a murder where it's just in rear window. It's just, a, it's just like a, a step ahead of everything uh, on a story standpoint, a filmmaking standpoint, a performance standpoint. It just really, you know, really to me is a masterpiece. High noon. Uh, he, he wins best picture as a producer and wins best director for a man for all seasons, 1966. I uh, have not gotten to that movie yet. Uh, I've heard I've heard mixed things about that one, but I I cannot wait to do it on the show one day. I've I've been I've been kind of having that film in my back pocket for a long time. I just bought it a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. On DVD. Uh, I really want to see that. It's the story of Sir Thomas More, the man who stood up to Henry VIII when he said he's going to splinter from the Catholic Church, create his own church. Thomas More was like. No, you can't do that. He said no to the King of England. You don't do that shit. Yeah. And he was executed for it. But this movie is his story, and it's Paul Schofield and Robert Shaw. So that's mm. going to be fun. I'm really excited to watch that eventually. Hell yeah, man. Robert Shaw could watch him do anything, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, last nomination for Fred Zinneman is uh, 1977 Julia, Best Director. Just, just a cool run. Lots of different kinds of movies. One in there that we don't really like, but some in there that we really like. And I, you know, I think uh, a best director nomination from from here to eternity is totally deserving. Yeah, and you know, looking at the competition, I I think the win was deserved as well. Ah, yeah, hundred percent, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think this year, nineteen fifty three, has 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 as far as best picture goes, has some duds. You know, yeah, some movies and, I was not expecting to be duds. That's I think the I think the worst thing I'd heard of all of these films. I was looking forward to all of these films. And I was just continuously disappointed. Yeah, likewise. Uh, it's it's very frustrating when that happens, when you're trying to throw your net out there to watch five different movies and you just sometimes get back, you know, nothing. But on this show, we've experienced both. We've had years where we get back 
three awesome movies, maybe two bad ones or four awesome, one bad. And uh, this one uh, I think uh, is up for, up for debate. And I can't wait for our rankings later. Uh, after Fred Zinneman, uh, I want to talk about Daniel Teradash, who wrote the screenplay for this movie. This is actually his only claim like to the Oscars. This is the only thing he won or was nominated for. Wow. And I find that hard to believe because this, this is a, uh, this is what surprised me most about this particular fifties movie. Uh, I, I thought the dialogue was crazy good. I thought there were a few things that were um, so influential that I see them still today in movies. Yeah. Some of the stuff Burt Lancaster does, some of the stuff Frank Sinatra does. Oof, people are copying that shit, you know, uh, or, or people are emulating it and using it for inspiration. However you want to look at it, this, it, it the way they're talking and what all they're saying is just ahead of its time. Well, it's so easy for this film to kind of fall down the same hole that a lot of films of this time do, where they just kind of recycle the same old shit. It's predictable, you know, one-liner, romantic fluff. But Teradash really tried here. He really created something special with his screenplay. He made the characters pop, I believe, their interactions. And I felt sad when they, you know, everyone kind of ends up fucked in this movie. It's it's not, you didn't get that kind of film back then. You, you know, everything was kind of poppy and heartwarming most of the time. You, you went to Hitchcock for the dark shit. You didn't expect mm. this. You know, I was not expecting this to be as dark as it was. And I think Teradash is like very much responsible for that. I'm really shocked that this was his only nomination. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I was too. I, again, I, I thought it was just uh, extremely, extremely good and intriguing dialogue. Now, it helps when you got like, a guy like Burt Lancaster saying those things. Uh, he's got to be the first performer we talk about today. This is my, this is my guy. <laughs> Burt Bert Lancaster is, has won my heart over on the show already. And here he is again. Uh, he, he, really, he, he really is one of my favorite guys. Uh, I think Bogart and... Jimmy Stewart, these are guys that I really respect, but Burt Lancaster has immediately gone to, in my mind, for me, and my personal kind of pantheon, he's at the top with some of my, you know, very favorite actors. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor in a Lead Role from Here to Eternity. Uh, I'm going to hold on to the first one for a minute. Uh, he was nominated for Best Actor in a Lead Role, Birdman of Alcatraz, 1962. Uh, he was nominated for Atlantic City, Best Actor in a Lead Role. But his win might be the best acting win of all time that I've seen. You know, it's right up there with Denzel Washington and Tranny Day, right up there with Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood, right there with Anthony Hopkins and Sounds of the Lambs. And that's fucking Elmer Gantry, 1960. Should have won Best Picture. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's doing stuff in that movie that some, most performers just can't even fucking touch. You know, it's... It's a movie that I cannot wait. When we go to 1960, that's what we're doing because I want to rewatch it. Uh, I already have since we did that show, uh, since we did that Best Picture show down in the apartment because it's so goddamn good. And it's clearly influential to a lot of personal favorite films of mine. And I, I can't say enough about what Bert's doing in Elmer Gantry. It's spectacular. Elmer Gantry might be the biggest hunk of gold we've uncovered with this show a film that i had just kind of heard about in passing never really expressed any interest in watching 
also with Burt Lancaster, a guy I'd heard about but never really looked at. And then, you know, we got a showdown going on the apartment and looked into these films and Helmer Gantry fucking sold, like, sold me over on Burt. I mean, a performance like that in 1960 puts you in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that was, I think about that movie from time to time and I just kind of reflect on like, Jesus Christ, how? <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. I, I'm so glad he won for that because he fucking earned it. And yeah, I'm very glad we were able to check that out. It's been a film that's kind of popped up a few times on this show, just in, in general conversation because we fucking love it so much. Yeah. And I'm right there with you. When we get when we do when we get to the 60s, that's the very first film we're throwing in that in that pile. Because we need to yeah. we need to do a proper dive on Elmer Gantry. I, I agree. And it would be that would be the way to truly honor Burt Lancaster. That's his one win. Uh four four nominations altogether. And talk about fucking uh, you know, just the longevity. He goes, you know. He's really good in From Here to Eternity. Really good. Arguably could have won for that for his performance in this movie. But then you go all the way to uh, 1981, Atlantic City, dude. He's <laughs> he's unreal in that movie. And and that's my favorite movie from that that Best Picture group is Atlantic City. I, I like it just a tad more than Raiders. And it's because of him. <laughs> it's solely because of Bert. Because of Bert. Uh, I think the directing is, is really fucking cool and whatnot, but so is Raiders, right? It's just that I rather watch Burt than Harrison Ford because I, because I fucking love Burt. Yeah, and that's just, that's just where I'm at at this point uh, because of Oscar Sunday and because of uh, his skill. Wow. I'm just, sorry, I'm just looking into his uh, filmography, Burt Lancaster. Yeah, it, I, unbelievable. Yeah. In 1977, he did the Island of Dr. Moreau and he played Dr. Moreau. So if yeah. you want to see no, there's, Bert there's as so a many psycho scientist, that's what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So many we need to see. His his resume is so intriguing. Every every title for every film is like, wait, what? I got to check that out. <laughs> My favorite thing about this show is that it makes me kind of fall in love with these performers all over again. It kind of shows me these guys in their prime, gives me a chance to actually witness their great work and understand mm. them as mm. legends you know i've gotten to do that with jack lemon with charlton heston it's it's been an honor and i'm so happy for that it's it's really dude, a gem every week dude th think about you know where what we've done just uh without even really realizing it or thinking about it because we're just always moving and you you are constantly doing all kinds of other podcasts we've covered jimmy stewart bogart hepburn uh jimmy stewart again you know sydney poitier and now these people it's just like these people were they were uh you know Leonardo dicaprio and yeah kate blanchett uh, of their time that's what they were and so you and i are taking upon ourselves to put ourselves in that space for over a month you know really try to live there for a minute even if you're you know obviously going to always be watching new stuff as we both are you know we both like we both watch loki you know yeah but we but we very much when we're watching these movies and we're, we put ourselves in, in that place. This is, this is who was Hollywood. This is who was movies at this time in the 50s. I've, I've, I looked back on that today when I was working today and just kind of thinking about what we're going to do on the show and what we're talking about. I, I just think 
what we've done over the past month, while I think we both have a bunch of learning and growing to do, I'm very proud. I'm very proud and honored to just be in this decade and talk about this stuff that means so, so much to the art that I love most, uh, which is, which is filmmaking, you know, and there's, I, I, I don't ever want to take that for granted. Oh, of course not. You know, I, I've never in my life in on any of these podcasts in passing, I've never claimed to be an expert in no mm-hmm. way. Am I an expert? I'm just a very passionate fan who is constantly trying to find new ways to express that fandom and new reasons to, and these yeah. podcasts are all an avenue to do that, to just constantly enjoy it. And doesn't matter when these films were made. All that matters is that they were made and we still get to enjoy mm. them. Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Uh, I know you, uh, you got something to say about a movie we'll talk about here in a minute. M- Montgomery Clift. <clears throat> Real good. And from here to eternity. <laughs> Real good. So good. He got a nomination for best actor in a lead role. But uh, before that, he got a nomination for best actor in a lead role for The Search, 1948, and A Place in the Sun, 1951. And then a few years later, 1961, he's up for best supporting actor in Judgment at Nuremberg, a film that I know we've brought up a few times. And I mean, why not again? (laughs) Why not indeed? And yeah, who's he in there with? Fucking Burt Lancaster. (laughs) Yes, sir. That was my introduction to Burt Lancaster and Montgomery Cliff and Spencer Tracy. Oof. Like, that was a that was a heavy hitter. I wasn't expecting you know that to be as heavy a hitter as it was. And I just want to say as a side note, I love a film that has two nominations for best actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me that too. is, you know, that's a clash of the titans. That's you know, just a constant battle for stage supremacy. And we just get to enjoy the or reap the benefits of it. But yeah, Judgment in Nuremberg, another film I'd love to tackle head on. Uh, beautiful unforgiving film about the aftermath of the Holocaust and every actor in there is just lights out. Incredible. Maximilian Schell, however, he totally deserved the win. He is fantastic as a German lawyer trying to stand by his people, but knowing the Nazis were monsters and having to justify that his role is so complicated, but he fucking pulled it off so well. And uh, yeah, yeah, beautiful movie. I urge everybody to watch that. It's important. I totally agree. I love, I, I love, I love your point about uh, having two actors within one movie in one category. And it's especially cool when you, yeah, you get best actor, best actor, best actress, best actress. And isn't that what should have happened this past year? Shouldn't we have had that happen with Judas and the Black Messiah? Is, yeah, it, I don't know like, where the supporting bullshit came from. They were both, yeah. it was their movie. <laughs> yeah. So then you would have had Kaluuya, Stanfield, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, and Riz Ahmed. I can live with that. Maybe. Yeah, that would be like the five. That's probably what it should have been, right? Uh, I think it's just so odd that we didn't see Kalia and Stanfield compete in that category. Because I, 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 I also, I just love that. I think it's really cool when you have, like you said, a Clash of the Titans. I, I think it's probably going to happen more sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe the Academy wants to share the wealth sometimes. And it's like, I don't know, just be honest. <laughs> Well, if there's one thing the Oscars don't do, it's, it's honesty very often. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's very corrupt, very pointed organization. But, you know, yeah. here we are. <laughs> here we are talking about it. There are some wonderful movies nominated, that's for sure. Uh, and there's some wonderful performers. And one of them, uh, you know, is Burt Lancaster. Another one is Montgomery Cliff. Uh, how about Deborah Kerr? 
<laughs> she's she uh talk about just kind of bringing the heat in some scenes and from here to eternity where you feel the tension and you feel the just drama heightened like immediately uh she's wonderful and from here to eternity and has six nominations that's that's amy adams that's what amy adams has done she hasn't won yet now deborah kerr got an honorary award in 1994 really hope amy adams gets a win at some point oh amy adams is still in the early stages of a long career she's gonna have a meryl streep level career ahead of her i guarantee you acting well into her 80s my, my thing is with with that is like I, I agree with you but i immediately thought of amy adams when i saw deborah kerr because deborah kerr uh is born in 1921 i believe yes so she gets her last oscar nomination at age 40 that's mm-hmm. why i thought of amy adams i was like wait a minute what if she just never gets an Oscar nomination again from here on out and gets an honorary word way down the line? That would be terrible. I would hate for that to be repeated. <laughs> that will no way. Uh, calling it now. Big money bet. That will never happen. I hope. Well, she should have won uh, an award for the master. She's lights out in that. And then I think after that, I think she's pretty spectacular in doubt. Uh. What about you? What do you think are the top ones for her that she, maybe she should have gotten gold? I uh, well, from what I've seen, I've seen all but Junebug. Junebug's uh, pretty good. I would have given it to her for the fighter. She's she's great in the fighter. She's great in American Hustle. She's the only like part I like about that movie. Uh, to be honest, some of the directing is kind of cool, but, but I don't I don't love the way the story just flows at all in that movie, and some of the performances are just so over the top. But Amy Adams is locked in. Well, personally, I, I think she's done her best work outside of the Oscars. I, and I know this yeah. is a hot take. I fucking loved Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, and I know. No, I, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> she was lights out. I thought she was going to get a possible win for that movie. Uh, she was amazing. Uh, big eyes. Love her in that. Yeah, she's, she's great yeah. in Big Eyes. She's a fantastic actress who just will, she will get her due one day. I, I, I'm sure of it. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I hope so, man. I just, I, I, I love that we're talking about Amy Adams this much. That's just immediately where my mind went when I saw the six and I saw, wait a minute, Deborah Kerr must've been kind of young when that, and the, the sundowners. Yeah. And sure enough, she was 40 and I was like, Oh shit. That's just where my mind went. But well, she might've retired for, you know, extenuating circumstances, health or something might've happened. That's possible. Yeah. I'm going to try to find that. Well, I don't know. I see her in a lot of 80s stuff, some 60s mm. stuff. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but, but she does have six and that's, that's mighty impressive. So I want to go through those. Of course, from here to eternity is one of them. Uh, she was nominated for best actress, 1949, Edward, my son. Uh, she was nominated for best actress, the King and I, 1956. Nominated for best actress, heaven knows Mr. Allison, 1957. Nominated for best actress, separate tables, 1958. Aside our guy <laughs> and then nominated for best actress, the sundowners, which I remember, I remember her being okay in, but nothing to really write home about. And then yes, the honorary award for an artist of impeccable grace and beauty, 1994. I do have two things to say. Okay. One, it does say that she suffered from Parkinson's. Oh, so there you go. It might've been the same trajectory that Michael J. Fox had, mm. which is that's a good call. Tragic. 
And another, yeah. and I just thought this was funny considering she never won an Oscar. The woman who presented her honorary award was Glenn Close. Oh, dude. Isn't, doesn't Glenn Close have how many now? Isn't it like I think it's nine eight or nine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anybody is yeah. scary, the queen of, you know, close, but no cigar. <laughs> truly, truly. Eight. But God, she always has a eight. Yeah. Eight. God, man. Yeah. She always has a smile on her face though. Right. So it's, it's a, okay. Uh, <laughs> we love Glenn close here. If you had to pick one of those that you've seen, is it fatal attraction? Glenn Close's win? Oh, shit. Uh, I mean, it's got to be, right? <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. Just one of, one, of the, yeah, one of the most memorable, just scary, awesome performances. She just lights out. Um, now, I was shocked that this next woman we're going to talk about, I was shocked to see that she has one nomination and one win, and that's Donna Reed, who plays... Uh, who plays Alma and then what's her, she has two names. What's the other name? Uh, Lorene. Lorene. Yeah. Yeah. I, that surprised me. She wins the best act, best supporting actress for this movie. And she's really good in it. Uh, I just, that just surprised me. She seems like such a uh, kind of what Hollywood would want at that time where she, she's just solid. Yeah. I mean, she's Mary Bailey. She's, you know, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. That's, I've always liked Donna Reed. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she just didn't play ball or something. That's, you know, that's usually what, how it goes down. Yeah. Burt Lancaster says that in this movie, doesn't he? He's like, uh, maybe in the pioneer days, you know, you can do what you want, but like a man does what he wants, but today you got to play ball. <laughs> Here it is. Despite her associated, despite her association with the squeaky clean and conservative fifties, Reed became an anti-nuclear activist and anti-Vietnam protester. There it is. There you go. There you go. That's it. That's all we need to know. So she gets a win and they're like, get her out of here. Uh, <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. Um, this next guy doesn't really need an introduction. His name is uh, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. It, along with the screenplay, this was pretty surprising how good he was in this movie and how uh, his timing is is kind it was kind of scary it's kind of scary how how real it was and how i feel so many uh kind of supporting actors and characters kind of building off something like this a performance like this from the 50s he stands out he stands out from all the stuff we've watched the past few you know few weeks Uh, frank sinatra is and this role as maggio is going to stand out i'm going to think about it uh and such a brutal brutal storyline um we'll definitely be talking about his stuff uh in our awards i'm sure we'll he's gonna get brought up (laughs) and he won he won best supporting actor here um he got uh, a nomination for best actor in a lead role the man with the golden arm 1955 uh humanitarian award 1971 just and, and of course the music stuff is there right but I want to I want to open the the floor for you, Connor, to kind of share, you know, if if any listeners are unclear on his connection with uh, outside influences, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, yeah. we have to yeah. say that. Just yeah, just got to be kind of open about it. Yeah, <laughs> but if you've ever <sighs> seen The Godfather, mm. um, what's his name, Johnny Fontaine, I believe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him going to the Don to say, you know, there's a this movie coming out and they've already cast the guy, but it'd be a perfect role for me to break into Hollywood. And then the mob, you know, makes him an offer he couldn't refuse. That was based on Frank getting the role and from here to eternity. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a story. Yeah. The chairman <laughs> of the board was not exactly squeaky clean, they they say. <laughs> uh, and until, you know, all the Sinatras are dead, we're never going to get the movie that tells that story. But he was really good. <laughs> he, he never would have thought, you know, arguably like, you know, one of the most famous human beings who ever lived would would have this kind of skill. I was really surprised. For the longest time, I thought that his Oscar win was bought and paid for, but he earned that shit. And yeah, yeah, I was very impressed. Uh, props, as if he needs my props, but props. <laughs> yeah, are are you? Is he someone you listen to at all? Like, uh... I fucking love Frank. Oh, yeah, very much. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, I've, I've never been like a huge fan uh, of that era of music unless it's just straight, really just straight jazz, like Charles Mingus kind, kind of shit and John Coltrane. But I but I can't deny just the, you know, the brilliance, right? The, the voice is astounding. He has 518 soundtrack credits on IMDb. That is the largest number of credits I've seen for anything <laughs> for, <laughs> for anybody. Usually I'm impressed by a hundred, but uh, he has 68 acting, nom- uh, acting credits and just his, like you said, one of the most, you know, famous men to ever live people to ever live. I'm really glad that this is the thing now that I will kind of point to when I think of him. Immediately. I will think about this role. I'll think about, him being drunk on the beach. I'll be thinking about his downfall in this movie and how really it's a movie within a movie, this, this performance. It's some of my favorite films, you know, of all time are just like the classic Citizen Kane rise and downfall. And I think with Maggio, you see, you see that you see him winning all this money. And then from there on, once he gets all the money, his life like sucks. And, it's it's kind of kind of like beautiful where there's a whole another movie happening outside of just his his plot line, but his plot line is so intriguing and so fascinating. Uh, that's this is what I'll point to when I think of the guy. Uh, guys, yeah, he is a total legend, and there's a lot of ways you could respect him. You know, yeah, I the way I do it is I'm, I got to tell you my way. Maybe the best driving song ever written to just blast that shit and just declare i did it my way oh my god it's one of my favorite things to do that's the most upbeat like you know self positive song ever written (laughs) just fuck it all it's my life i'm doing it my way that's that's the best yeah long live frank sinatra he's people are gonna be listening to his music till the end of time yes that's true yeah his heroes get remembered but legends never die (laughs) (laughs) damn right Sandlot, that screenplay. Where is that at the Oscars? Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, have you seen the movie Marty? I have not. From 1955. Uh, so Ernest Borning, is that how you say it? Borning. 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 Yeah, I mean, I know he's in a lot of movies we both really like. Uh, he has one, one claim to the Oscars, and that's for Marty. He won Best Actor. <laughs> yep. And 
And I, I that that kind of just shook me. I was like, wait, what? That's it? That's all he's got after all these movies he's in, uh, and t- over two hundred acting credits. Uh, I, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Escape from New York. Uh, Cabby. <laughs> yeah, I would have to. Yeah, I would have to kind of like shoot myself in the foot if I didn't bring that movie up uh, on anything filmgasm related. <laughs> One of our best episodes ever that we've ever done. Uh, with everything we've done was with your uncle Sean talking about escape from New York for just shooting the shit about it. Uh, 1981. We talked about Atlantic city and Raiders a minute ago or a while ago, I guess. And uh, well, this is right there with those a a masterpiece through and through. And he's so good in it. Everybody's so good in it. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's the movie I will think of if I ever hear his name Um, just because that's how, that's everybody in that movie. That's what I think of, you know, it's just one of those where everything's hitting on all cylinders and uh, something like the Academy just doesn't understand that. They just don't get that. They, they miss shit like that real cool cultural stuff. They just miss they're late on. So uh, escape from New York masterpiece. Oh yeah. Carpenter got ignored his entire career. He never, yeah. None Stupid of his films, film. like barely, I think Starman is the only film of his that touched the Oscars. And that was, yeah, I mean, it's et with jeff bridges but uh yeah, yeah fucking dumb like i it's crazy the thing is one of the most impressive productions of that whole decade and just yeah just come on just nothing it's ridiculous you know what pisses me off about the thing a year prior the oscars established the best makeup category because an american werewolf in london was so revolutionary a year later you've got the thing a film that is like I would argue way more revolutionary with the special effects and makeup effects and crickets. Yeah. What the fuck? Nothing. Very, very, very frustrating. (laughs) Uh, I love him in escape from New York, but because I've, because I grew up watching SpongeBob, I immediately just hear mermaid man yelling. Cause he was mermaid man, (laughs) mermaid man and monocle boy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's fantastic no, that's kind of like when we got to uh pay a little respect to ned Beatty, rest in peace yeah and he and you and i are a lot of what we remember in the theaters is lotso you know yeah. and that's really cool when a, a guy can kind of do do both be in your head in both ways with a cartoon and and just himself uh yeah mad, mad respect now this next man here plays captain buckley from here to eternity it is Jack Warden. He was nominated for two Oscars in the 70s, Best Actor in a Supporting Role both times, and Shampoo and Heaven Can Wait. Shampoo, I have not... That movie has been recommended to me so many times. It, oh, you like the 70s? Shampoo is always is one that just I just hear all the time that I need to see, and I'm... It's one of those that I'm upset with myself that I haven't checked out yet. There's a lot from that era, especially 1975 specifically just a kick-ass year and that's one of those that i have seen on the top of a lot of lists that i just gotta check out heaven can wait i've seen i've seen one time and i i i think it's just it's i'm due for a rewatch is where i'm kind of out on that movie but uh have you seen either of those i have not but judging from your glowing review i think heaven can wait can wait (laughs) that's fantastic (laughs) It can it can wait. It's not, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, George Dooning. I don't know if that's how you properly say the man's name. 
uh, another another Oscar nominated guy within the movie, but he's a composer. So we've moved on. We've done. We've we've talked about enough performers. I think we can talk about some technical guys, some guys that are maybe behind the camera, right? Uh, and the music in from here to eternity. There's some there's some good stuff going on. But uh, this guy, uh, I I looked at his you know just Oscar resume and he's got five. And movies that not only have I not seen, I haven't really heard of the Oscar-nominated ones. Uh, you got Jolson Sings Again, 1949. No Sad Songs for Me, 1950. Uh, From Here to Eternity, 1953. Uh, Picnic, 1955. And The Eddie Dutchin Story, 1956. I don't really know about those. Yeah, I Picnic sounds familiar, but... Yeah, that's, that's the... the only one that kind of... That's it, William Holden... Betty Field. I don't really, I I don't know. They just, the, I was honestly, when I looked at it, I was like, ah, fucking (laughs) fifties, you know? (laughs) Well, I find it insane that he, um, he's got a music credit for Starman. (laughs) Oh, that's great. We just brought that up. For fuck's sake. Fucking Jeff Bridges. <laughs> he did a lot of uh, a lot of Star Trek stuff, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, That's dope. Movie. Yeah, a lot of Star Trek. Um, yeah, seems like a, a guy who had a, a small but notable career, especially you know in the fifties. Yeah, there's just yeah, movie after movie in the fifties, uh, and and you know I want to always bring these guys up, even if we haven't seen or have any recollection of the movies at all uh bennett bennett guffey burnett guffey is i I don't really know how to pronounce some of these names but i uh he's the cinematographer and wolf my lord uh he's not even nominated for uh uh, sorry i was looking at the wrong guy he went he wins for this movie and then he's nominated for the heart of they fall 1957 birdman of alcatraz 1962 with our guy burt lancaster uh, King Rat, 1965, he's nominated. And then he wins uh, on his last nomination, Bonnie and fucking Clyde, 1967. So this guy, this is a cool resume right here. These are five kind of movies that I definitely have heard of and I want to see, you know, uh, and From Here to Eternity and Bonnie and Clyde, those are the two wins. And those are actually the two that I've seen from this group. And they both kick ass. The At the end of the film, with uh, from here to eternity, it, it turns into a, a full on war movie. And my oh my, the shot when he goes above the just kind of the grounds that we're at, and you just see all the men just scattering and going, and Burt Lancaster sh- just screaming. That is that was fucking perfect. That is better than guys do it today in war movies. And how you know how dare you be outshined by a guy seventy years ago? I was blown away. I was blown away. I didn't, I didn't know. I knew this movie was going to go there, but I didn't know it was going to be that spectacular and kind of go the whole, just go the whole nine yards, you know, it just left nothing on the table. And I think Bernard Guffey uh, kind of won my heart over with this, you know, and then knowing that he did Bonnie and Clyde, pretty cool. Yeah. Guy has an eye. Uh, yeah. Guy has an eye for kind of a drama spliced with action. I would mm-hmm. say. And yes. I find it interesting that in the 50s, a film was made that has a fictional love story paired with the Pearl Harbor attack. 
And then in 2001, Michael Bay couldn't top it. Mm. Like, I love it. That's what everybody's issue with that film was. Like, it's too long. The love story is ridiculous. And Pearl Harbor should not. Like, it's weird that he would do that. But then here it is done in the 50s. I just found that kind of amusing. Like, it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, here it is done very well. Two hours, uh, under two hours. And it just, just never, never kind of, you, you know, I, I was kind of on the edge of my seat most of the time. And yeah, Burnett Guffey is the guy, like you said, he has an eye and you, you have to shout those guys out. Uh, Gene Lewis, costume designer. Get ready for this one. <laughs> uh, just, I just had to scroll, you know, uh, a, f- a few ways here. He was nominated for Best Costume Designer, uh, born yesterday, 1950. Nominated for Costume Design. All these are the same. They're all costume design. Nominated for An Affair in Trinidad, 1952. Nominated for From Here to Eternity, 1953. Nominated for A Star is Born, 1954. Nominated for It Should Happen to You, 1954. That's two in one year. Uh, nominated again for Queen Bee, 1955. Not, uh, won in 1956 for The Solid Gold Cadillac. Nominated again for Pal Joey, 1957. Nominated again in 1958 for Bell Book and Candle. Backstreet, 1961. Got another nomination, 1961. Judgment at Nuremberg, <laughs> 1965. Ship of Fools, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, 1966, Gambit. And then his final nomination is 1967, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oof. <laughs> what a run. Wild how all these guys seem to work together constantly, you know? Like, even in the even the technical guys were still on these same films. It's wild to me. Yeah. Hollywood yeah, we definitely so small. <laughs> yes, yes. You Like you said, it was a lot of uh, working on, like, lots that are close to each other, and you could kind of just... Maybe today I'm working here. Today I'm working there. I uh, I love guys like this that clearly just worked, 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 worked. Movies, movies, movies. And to have all of these, and I'll I'll point out, just you know, Judgment in Herberg. Good lord, costume design is that is superb. Uh, a star is born. Judy Garland again, just perfect perfect stuff everything looks great and in this movie from here to eternity that's just three out of the fucking 19 <laughs> i uh again everything's perfect the the fucking loose hawaiian shirts that they're wearing you know everything is is money is spot on great decision making when i'm when i'm in the middle of the movie and i'm thinking about what they're wearing and i'm thinking about just that stuff it means you, it means you did a good job you know you you almost distracted the viewer from the story just because you made everybody look so good you know and you nailed every costume and, and the production design of this movie is wonderful too I, I just was I always you know shattered whenever I see a guy like this who just has this many nominations I I just mad respect because I, sure surely somewhere in there there's some there's some really good movies and from the ones we've seen those are really good yeah, absolutely. Like, it is cool to see all these guys just kind of knew, they all had a, knew how to pick their projects and they all were in a similar circle. I don't know. It's just, it's just cool to me to see how small and dedicated Hollywood used to be. And uh, yeah, definitely going to constantly celebrate that aspect. 
Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Well, you're down for one more individual here. A little, uh, an art director uh, was not nominated for this movie somehow. Don't understand that. But did get three nominations. 1944, Cover Girl. 1958, Bell, Book, and Candle. Again, 1964, Seven Days in May. And that's Carrie O'Dell. Uh, how, 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 out of, uh, this movie gets 13 nominations from here to eternity. How is this not one of them? I'm like, what? <laughs> it makes no sense. Well, I think, um, honestly, I, I don't think art direction is this film's biggest, like, strongest suit. I think a lot of it's outdoor setting, kind of a natural set design, using Hawaii to its benefit. Uh, and then you just got kind of army barracks. I don't really think there's a lot to, to, you know, shout out when it comes to the set design here. I'm probably a little too in love with the, uh, the bar and the lounge. Uh, and and like you said, like you said, though, it's not really the main stage of the film. So yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably like a little too obsessed with that or biased towards it because I just, I really like this movie. And when you get 13 nominations, it's like, why not 14? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, man, this is always how we start the show out. Sometimes it takes 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes 40. You never know. This is a heavy hitter. Uh, I do want to, you know, kind of pass it over to you so we can kind of go through the 26th Academy Awards. Uh, but I don't, you know, I really want to spend quite a, quite a bit of time on the, our rankings. So we don't really need to go into all this. I kind of want to breeze through um, these, these 13 nominations and eight wins. Cause I really want to, I want to, I, I want to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, the robe and Julius Caesar and Roman holiday and uh, Shane. So I'm really excited for that. So I'll, I'll let you kind of take over. Do you want to start with um, film editing or what do you want to do? Um, well, like you said, you know, I mean, there's a lot here. We can kind of just breeze through them, show you like just kind of list off what, what this film is nominated for, what it was, what it won for. And considering yeah. that the other four films we watched are heavy, heavily involved in this Oscars. I'm sure the, you know, the competition will kind of just come up organically in our rankings. Yeah. Um, so this film is nominated for best original score. Best Costume Design, Black and White. Best Actress for Deborah Kerr. Best Actor for Burt Lancaster. And Best Actor for Montgomery Cliff. The, win, the wins this film had, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Recording, Best Cinematography, Black and White. Best Screenplay, Best Director. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Donna Reed. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Frank Sinatra. And Best Picture. This was a, a big one. Eight wins. Very few films have that many, can claim that many wins at the Oscars. That's that's something to brag about. It ain't happening. You know, I, I just don't see that happening anymore. Uh, it, there's just the competitions. There's too much. People would get angry if one movie just dominated like that. I would love for it to happen. I think it'd be awesome. If Parasite would have won nine, I would have been ecstatic. Uh, if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would have won nine, I would have been ecstatic. I love when movies just destroy I think it's kind of cool when the competition's shattered, but this past year there, to me, there, there was no movie that stood above the rest like that. So it's, it's just different. Well, and it's been a long time since the Oscars really had a, you know, a gate crasher like that. I think like return of the King is the last time that happened. Yeah. This whole spread. La, the wealth, La land. Yeah. This whole spread the wealth thing kind of, I don't know. I think it kind of diminishes it. It's like you get an Oscar and you get an Oscar and everybody's happy. It just doesn't, I don't like that. I like, you know, 
give it to the best movie that deserves it, regardless of how many that's going to be. I don't like that we're trying to like appease everybody. It turns it into a, like a participation trophy. Mm, yeah, take it category category by category and pick the best one. That's it. Don't even have any memory of, oh, but we picked this movie for costume design, so we shouldn't choose it for cinematography. No, no, no. Take it as each. And that's, that's exactly what we like to do here, especially with these showdowns. Once we get to that five, it's like within these five, let's, let's choose correctly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so the five we've got for best picture this year, uh, From Here to Eternity was the winner. We've also got Julius Caesar, The Robe, Roman Holiday, and Shane. Uh, all kind of a mixed bag of disappointment, if I do say so myself. Uh, <sighs> Man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. It's already clear, I think, where our heads are at with, with you know, From Here to Eternity, we clearly like. Yeah. And I'm, I, I'm with you. This is a, <laughs> this is a rough group. Not only is it, rough in the sense that like neither of us personally like loved these movies they're just fucking boring you know uh they are they're like the bad stuff that 50s has to offer 50s hollywood 50s oscars we've seen some good shit you know we've covered movies like rear window that did you know didn't win as many things as we thought it should have you know but here when when we do the showdown all that's out the window you're looking at these five And this is, to me, one of the not as good groups that we've done. I think it reminds me a lot of 1960. Yeah. Where we had The Apartment and Elmer Gantry, both awesome. And then we had The Alamo. It's okay. And uh, Sundowners and Sons and Lovers. No, thanks. Uh, It happens, man. And I think think it just happened again. (laughs) Well, I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that this felt like a reverse Hamlet where we had... A great movie that won Best Picture and then four movies that did not deserve to be there. With Hamlet, you know, we didn't think that was any anything worth talking about, but the four films it was up against were awesome. So it's weird that that would happen, but also this year really proved to me how meaningless the term classic is. I think that it's subjective as hell. I think just because a movie was made 50 years ago does not automatically make it a masterpiece. And it's important to revisit these films and see like, do they hold up? Does this deserve to be called a classic? And I'd say a lot, like most of this group does not. I'm there, you know, some of them are okay, but I don't picture myself going back to these. I don't oh, no. I don't see it. I don't see the appeal. I don't see the, the acclaim. Uh, yeah. It's just something that I kind of like uncovering, you know, classics. Do they hold up? why yeah and why like in context like what was it then and why is it still here today yeah that's definitely i think a thing that connects you and i as people it's just like we want to know we want to know and we not only do we want to know what other people think and and read you know oh from history's standpoint we want to know for ourselves i i want to have a stake in the argument yeah (laughs) Uh, I want to throw my hat into the ring. Uh, immediately, I'll say in this group, one of my very favorite movies that I've watched over the past couple of years is The Big Heat from 1953, directed by Fritz Lang. How the fuck it's not here is crazy. It's crazy shit. To me, 
maybe you know it, it rivals from here to eternity awesome movie i hate when movies just get missed like that stanley kubrick's fear and desire very controversial you know it splits his fans i think down the middle some people hate it some people love it i'm one of those people that is in the middle <laughs> <laughs> of course uh, i think it's pretty good uh 1953 does have stuff to offer right yeah. so why do they why like, why are these here I, it's it's so hard to answer and a lot of it has to do with just well it's 70 years ago and we won't know exactly what was going on behind the scenes and like you said the academy is not the most honest uh, organization so it's hard to kind of put your finger on it but it feels good when you get one of those years like 1948 where it is four good movies or 1979 that that, that does feel good that's nice <laughs> it is it yeah it does feel good and i know for a fact that our next Best Picture Showdown is one of those years. It's going to have some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, episode 60, we already have our next decade ready and those those episodes ready to go. Uh, and yeah, for sure, that's going to be kind of a heavy, heavy hitter group. Well, do you want to properly start this? Go five to one? Yeah, let's do this. All right. All right. I'll, I'll let you start. I think, I think what's going to be interesting here is just how you and I kind of put them in like numbered them ranked them uh because we obviously don't love this group (laughs) well i knew what number five was going to be immediately because there's one film here that isn't just okay it's fucking horrendous and that is the robe yeah (laughs) this movie is christian propaganda and absolute garbage uh richard burton said as much himself a devout atheist he's like why the fuck did i do this movie and like half-assed his way to a to an Oscar nomination, which is amazing. I love. I I admire any actor who can do that, who can just like not care and still be nominated. But um, this movie is about a Roman legionnaire, like a, a I don't even remember what he was called, um, who allows Jesus Christ to be crucified, feels guilty about it after um, a slave gives him. Jesus Christ's uh, robe that he was wearing at the time. And now he thinks he's cursed and is like, why did I let that guy die? And then he becomes a devout Christian and turns against his people. The only thing I was that in, was that in the robe or Julius Caesar? Oh God. Yeah. So they do. They do. That was going to be one of my points. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the robe where uh, Caligula like cusses him out. And no, that's this one. That's this one. Okay. Burton's girlfriend is like, fuck you, Caligula. That was the only part I liked. He's like, you are a terrible leader. And he's like, get out, get out. Because he's a petulant, psychotic child. (laughs) But Uh, yeah, Uh, this film has a sequel. Do you know that? I No, I I didn't want to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it follows the slave. Oh, geez. (laughs) What was it called? Uh, Bear with me for a second here. Um, The sequel is called... Demetrius and the Gladiators. Mm, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, man. I yeah. I can't stand this movie. It's also my number five. Uh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, Henry Coster directed by uh, just makes me not want to watch his other work, which sucks. You know, it's like turned me off to this guy being a good director. Uh, Richard Burton, what are you doing? Like wasting your time with this role. This, this whole cast. 
I just I, I was just kind of kind of kind of peeved the whole time while watching it because you could just you could just feel it five ten minutes in. Oh, this is going to be rubbish. Like it's just going to be garbage propaganda <laughs> from a specific era that y- you could just see right through. Um, lacked lacked creativity in in a way that I I almost like wanted to turn it off, and I I don't really ever turn off movies and. This pushed me. Uh, it's it's like a four, you know, four out of ten type territory. It's just not good, not good. It was a five for me. Uh, I was just, you know, I admired Richard Burton's commitment, despite the fact that <laughs> yeah. he didn't want to do this. He turned down a contract from Fox because he hated doing this movie so much. He he left Hollywood to go back to the West End. He was like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, he came back, but he like. Ugh, this film has a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's that, bad. Wh- how, why is this up for so much like praise? Why does this get a Best Picture nomination? This was I hated. Frank, yeah, I guess Frank Ross paid somebody off. I yeah, I'm sensing a Dr. Doolittle situation here. <laughs> mm, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, I, yeah, that has to be number five. Uh, now, you, you talked about how Julius Caesar bleeds with it. Is is that your four? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it it's it, it it's mine as well. <laughs> uh, these for sure do bleed. The only thing that stands out is Marlon Brando. That kind of kind of takes it just just slightly past. Oh, and I I gave I gave Julius Caesar a six. I think it's I think it's a little bit better than than uh, the robe. The robe is clearly the worst movie of the group. I have one more thing to say about the robe. Of course, say what, say is, all you want, man. <laughs> this is just something I noticed in Christian movies of the time. Mm. Why are we never allowed to actually see Jesus Christ? Like, why can we only see his feet or him from behind or from very far away? What do they think is going to happen? Well, it's to it's to always have this idea. You know, I was raised going to church all the time and whatnot, and like watching these kind of not not these fifties movies, but just kind of like propaganda movies that uh. It's like if you can't see him, there's this fear instilled in you. You know, if it's if because if you saw just like a man, you'd be like, oh, well, no big deal. But if it's this almighty being and this higher power that you don't uh, come in contact with, which you don't. (laughs) uh, I never did. uh, It's. it, It instills fear in you. Uh, I think that's a big part of religion, right? Is to just kind of scare you into believing something and to come to church on Sunday and giving money, you know, it's a whole, yeah, it's a business. It's a business. And, and the, and the robe like, uh, it, like contributes to that. And so, yeah, I, I do not like it. Yeah. Well, somebody should have told Mel Gibson about that whole, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. Cause you see a lot of Jesus in his movie and oof, I even sat through passion. Cause I just don't hate myself. Uh, but it, I will eventually. It's it's a decent movie, I think. Uh, I was confused by Mel Gibson uh, being the guy. This is the guy that's gonna. Uh, Less Temptation of Christ is better. I'll say that. <laughs> I figured. I, I'm I'm looking forward to watching that one. I have not seen a lot of Christian movies because I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm not into that whole. Yeah. I'm not sold on the JC. Ne- neither uh, neither do I. Yeah, but I was I was sold that you know, know. and and now it's even more fascinating to watch movies like Elmer Gantry or There Will Be Blood or First Reformed 
the the movies that flip that shit on its ass you know um it it stirs emotions in me and very much entertains me when it's on when it's on the screen did i tell you that before i was born my family were mormons Ooh, yeah so how about that what a religion (laughs) yeah what a religion yeah yeah they tricked my grandparents after my grandma's father died and she was in seek she was in, in search of meaning and something to connect with they're like hey why don't you study up on Joseph Smith and his miracles? Oh and, man. Yeah. I, I, I read into that and I, I, I mock my family constantly for falling into that trap. Yeah. You're like, you guys almost sent me to BYU. Yeah. I'm like, Holy <laughs> hell. When's family game night? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, dude. No, yeah. I, I have, I have some family members, uh, some relatives who are, who are, uh, who are Mormon. Uh, it's some fascinating stuff. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, it's I'm a, very yeah, happy kinda, I was yeah. raised outside of all of that. It's given me, you know, my the ability to kind of choose my own belief yeah. system and my own code of right and wrong, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. I'm an atheist, but that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, attacking people every day or like, you know, a monster. Yeah, I see, I, 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 I would, morality. I very much was led to believe at school and church that someone like you is not a good person. You know. That's the way I was made to feel that atheist is like a bad word, you know? And (laughs) here we are, buddy. Here we are doing a movie podcast together. (laughs) I'm so glad you had an epiphany so I could meet you. (laughs) It took, it took, uh, it took going really far. It took going really far into it for me to have that epiphany. And when I did, you know, it just, yeah, it hit me like, it hit me like fucking Elmer Gantry did. I'll tell (laughs) you that my man, um, Julius Caesar. Directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Mm-hmm. That might make a little bit of a difference. And it definitely does have like a better, uh, you know, rap now than the robe does. I think it's, I think it's easy to say that we're not, we're not the only ones who would have the robe last. Yeah, I, thought, I don't think so. I just, it, <laughs> we've seen this with Hamlet. Putting Shakespeare on the big screen is tough. It's yeah. really hard to maintain an interest, regardless of what time period it's in. You know, 90s Hamlet, I'm not looking forward to watching either. And that's like three times as long. But yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Julius Caesar has a great cast. I mean, seeing Marlon Brando and James Mason go back and forth mm. is a mm. treat. But the second half of this film, when like the Civil War starts, I'm completely lost. I'm out. Yeah. I don't care yeah. anymore. What sold me here was the kind of political drama of Rome. I liked yes. it. I, I, Marlon Brando's speech is one of the highlights of his career. It's incredible. He's, he's the reason I gave this film a seven. Because I would watch that speech again. But the film I, around I will. Yeah. is boring as shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, I'm, I'm, I'm in a similar. Yeah, I give it a six. I'm in a similar boat as you where he kind of saves it. And that speech I, was, I had my the hairs on my neck were standing up it was just crazy it was one of those oh that's why he's fucking marlon brando you know that's why he's looked at as one of the goats and yeah totally saves the movie but like you said around it is just a bunch of boring mess so let's uh let's hear your number three so we're down to from here to attorney the winner roman holiday and shane but what's your number three and number three is shane okay same here Uh (laughs) (laughs) 
Shane, I, I didn't have high hopes for. I'm not the biggest fan of 50s American Westerns. They're all kind of the same shit. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not John Wayne. It's the only thing that separates this one from the rest of them. Oh, geez. Jack but, Palance is, is what I liked about this movie. But even he is barely in it and yeah. really doesn't do anything. Exactly why I gave it a six. Yeah. yeah. This is, I don't know why the hell I gave this a seven. I'm dropping that shit. Well, um, because the because the bar fight, the bar fight is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. I need to go look at my review real quick. I don't remember why I like this movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's. I don't know. I don't know. I I gave it a six. It seems like it's got an okay rap nowadays, but I, I just don't really. I don't know. I don't really get it. I guess uh, George Stephen directed it and uh, has some stars, but I, I don't know. It's, it's not my kind of movie. The cinematography blew me away. I think that's what sold me on it. And the that's bar fair. fight. But the characters are terrible. That kid, oh, that kid is constantly asking Shane questions. How did that kid get an Oscar nomination for this? Don't I mean, all know. he does is stare blankly and ask Shane questions. That's it. Um, and the character of Shane is, is too enigmatic for his own good. Like, we need to have something to hold on to here. Like, why do we care about this guy? Like, who was he? We don't need to know all of it. But we need to know a smidge, a drop. And it's just, it's too long. It's convoluted. It doesn't need to be. And I just, I don't get, another film, I don't understand why it's so acclaimed. Neither do I. Neither do I. It's also, you pointed out the cinematography. I think that is something that people probably like a lot. It's the same cinematographer as the Ten Commandments. Uh, we did that. Wow. We did that for Easter. I remember <laughs> that's funny. Uh, talking about all kinds of Bible movies today. Uh, I, I think, I think that sticks out to people, but, but again, the way it's just kind of gets from point A to point B, this doesn't really work. You know, it just doesn't, re- do, yeah, it doesn't really last. doesn't really work for me. Um, yeah. That's, that's why it just kind of gets a easy six for me. You feel like Shane was kind of a side character. Of- yeah. Yeah, and not and not nowhere near good enough for like. There are movies that you know will not give you a lot about the character and let you kind of figure it out. But it's not that it's not intriguing enough to do that. You know, like a movie, uh, something recent like uh, The Lighthouse. It's like we don't have a lot of background information. It doesn't matter because they're fucking just screaming at each other and they're drunk and the the lighting is fucking awesome and it's kind of a horror movie. So this is dope. But when you're just kind of lollygagging around for no reason, it's just you, you, you got to give us stuff. Well, I mean, just look at, I mean, even, you know, keeping it in Western, just look at the, uh, the Dollars trilogy, Sergio Leone. Yeah, oh, there you go. There you go. Clint Eastwood's character in all three of those movies, we know nothing. He doesn't even have a name. He's a man with no name. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. know nothing about this guy, but we are glued the entire time because, because of it's conflict, because yeah. of the characters. And American Westerns, it took a long time to get there. And uh, like, there's a couple in the fifties that stand out. Like we mentioned high noon earlier, that one had it, uh, but yeah, it took a while for, for the Western to really come into its own. And Shane, I'm sure is a good stepping stone, but it's hardly a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I need to rewatch it some other time just for, cause there's people who like love this movie and it actually does. It, it's done pretty well. Like on letterbox, you know, something that's a newer, thing and 
that, that always makes me wonder maybe maybe i missed something but i don't know it's going to be a while before i give it another chance uh so it's pretty clear where we're at you know this is a more predictable ranking uh i i, I believe your number two is roman holiday just like me you would be correct Okay. Uh, now you and I have talked a bit about Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday today. We were texting, just kind of general thoughts. Uh, William Wyler, you know, an absolute icon when it comes to old Hollywood, and uh, obviously, of course, up for best director <laughs> this year. Um, <sighs> William Wyler. Now, it's interesting that you brought up how this film seems a lot like it happened one night, yeah. 1934. Uh, what, what exactly is it other than just kind of the key like plot points? Do you feel like the tone is just the same too? Um, at times, I think that it happened one night was a little bit more, uh, a little bit more sour in the beginning. Uh, Peck and Hepburn are pretty cordial from the beginning. Uh mm you know gable was more like fuck you most of the movie until he like they actually started spending time together just the idea of a you know a wealthy heiress slash princess who is tired of palace life escapes into the real world immediately runs into a reporter who wants to use her for a larger story and then decides not to because he falls in love with her it's the same movie yeah (laughs) yeah and that was it's it's that, Notting Hill too in the '90s. It's not, Notting Hill is the exact is like the exact same style, plot points, tone. But, Feels like this movie gets remade every twenty years or something. <laughs> I can yeah, it does apparently. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I felt like the middle of the movie's a large, like a big lull when they're just kind of exploring Rome. Uh, the kiss kind of comes out of nowhere. I like the ending and how it was realistic. How like she wasn't going to give up her throne for this Yahoo. That wasn't going to happen. But I like that it went, they, you know, they had that moment of like, thank you for giving me something to remember. I like, I appreciated that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do love that. I love a, a, an ending that doesn't say everybody like lives happily ever after who, with who they want to be with or, you know, this and that. I do like, a, you know, like La La Land, right? You have when Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling kind of have that moment of we're, we're just not going to, we're just no longer going to be in each other's daily lives. That's, yeah. There's something, there's something very, very like haunting about that, you know, getting close to somebody and then maybe losing them quickly, but it's also so real and we can't help it. People like humans, humans can't help it. Uh, and these two performers very much understand that in Roman holiday, they're both, they're both pretty awesome, but, I, but I, I'm like you where I just kind of felt like it was similar to a lot of things. And I'm all, a lot of movies I like do that, you know, they'll, they'll, they won't hide uh, their, you know, the homage that they're paying to their movies. Uh, you know, my favorite director is Paul Thomas Anderson. He is not afraid, not afraid of saying, I'm going to go ahead and take this and this and this and this and then throw it into my movie and then edit the shit out of it. I, I like that. This, this, however, felt weird because it, it happened one night when you said that, Frank Capra's, you know, you know, one, the big five, just an awesome, awesome movie that we covered on this show a long time ago. It, it just, it just frustrates you because it's not even 20 years later and it, it has this acclaim, like it's this original, 
yeah. super original piece of work that I'll, I'll bring Letterboxd up again. It has a 4.1 on Letterboxd. Movies have a very hard time breaking that four. And then on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and this and that, it's still looked at as like, oh, no, this movie can't be touched. I don't really, I don't really get that. I don't necessarily trust Letterboxd when it comes to classics like this, because I think a lot of them are people who don't want to say they didn't like the movie because then they'll be ridiculed. I think that's, I think there's a bit of that there. There's, there's always going to be that with movie critics where they're looking around like, yeah, what does everybody else think? You know? (laughs) And I've been very vocal about how I don't give a fuck what anyone else thinks when it comes to my own opinions. And this film, I do not like that. It's touted as the original, like the the beginning of the rom-com. 20 years prior was the beginning of the rom-com. Yeah, like, in the, the 30s, better movie. Yeah. So, yeah, seven. I think that Roman Holiday is overrated and has been done better. But I don't want to disparage Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck. They're both fantastic in this. Oh, yeah. They're, they're both, like, really good. Kind, kind of surprising that Peck wasn't nominated here. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I think that he was very uh I don't think he campaigned for it. I think that he they wanted Cary Grant originally. Mm, and yeah. he, then he was deemed too old and Gregory Peck was looking for a way to kind of refresh his image, kind of you know, get away from drama a little bit, try some stuff out. So I think he was kind of insecure about doing a role like this and just probably didn't think he, it was worth campaigning for. Yeah. But he he was good. Yeah, man. And with Roman Holiday, my, you know, my uh, adoration for Trumbo, for Dalton Trumbo, mm. I, I was, I was a tad let down. I'll say. I know, like, yeah. For, I don't think this was an Oscar-winning screenplay. Yeah, from a story by Dalton Trumbo, Roman Holiday. You're just like, ah, oh, here we go. No, yeah, and uh, I agree. The performances are great, and the the cinematography in this one and the d- direction. There are some scenes that are like, oh man, that was clever as fuck, you know? And just timing of things and the the dialogue, how it just sometimes is layered on top of each other. And I, I did I did enjoy I was laughing sometimes and I, I did enjoy myself most of the movie. But when you have that expectation and when you you it's built up and built up, I I'll say I was a little let down, and I'm definitely gonna try to, you know give it another go at some point but yeah for now it's a seven which just leaves from here to eternity to take the take the crown yeah which uh i i i give a nine this movie is so fucking good and so much better than these other four movies (laughs) i I really uh, when it comes to these five that are inside the category there's really no competition in my eyes no, that's sad. You know, I want some competition. I want to see yeah. the classics fight one another for the crown. But, you know, sometimes it's just some stuff doesn't hold up and some stuff fought its way in. So we're left with, you know, kind of a lukewarm pile with From Here to Eternity taking a crown that it didn't really earn, but that's not the movie's fault. Mm. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. I do think it could have won in other years. You know, I think it's that good. But like you said, it's hard to kind of, yeah, when it's stacked up against this, uh, you know, yeah, you're not always going to get a, uh, a, the apartment versus Elmer Gantry or, yeah. uh, or uh, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre versus the Snake Pit or however you want to look at it or 
fucking Norma Ray versus all that jazz versus Apocalypse Now versus Breaking Away versus Kramer versus Kramer. It's not it's just not always going to be that way because uh, the Academy has made so many mistakes. And that's kind of what we're here to do is just see which ones are cool and which ones aren't because you have to try them out. Uh, what is it about From Here to Eternity that that is a because it does have a very best picture feel to it. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of know what it is, but, but what is it for you? For me, it's how bold the film is mm. in mm-hmm. the way it tells this story, the way these characters all suffer because of their own mistakes and their own choices in a time when film was kind of engineered to be upbeat and mindless and popcorn and just, you weren't supposed to think at the movies. And this film brought up, you know, ideas of, it's, it's very anti-military, it's anti-individualism, it's, it's awfully communist. <laughs> and um, that's weird yeah. for 1953. Uh, the middle of the Cold War, a film comes yeah. out that demonizes the army. Yeah, eight years after World War II, yeah. <laughs> 12 years after Pearl Harbor gone the fuck <laughs> it did like I did have a moment where I'm like holy shit when this came out Hawaii was not a state mm. like makes me maybe kind of realize how small this nation's history is um but yeah I think that you've got a a group of actors here who aren't afraid to do something different and a, a filmmaker who is not afraid to bring that to the Hayes Code and to the studios and say, I made this, now what are you going to do about it? Hmm. And I admire that. And I, I like to think that's why this film won Best Picture, because it was bold. Yeah. Bold and there's times where something is said, like, uh, don't want to step on the Tarantino Award, but that <laughs> that that is just even in movies today i'll be like what like when i was watching burt lancaster and he says you know he's talking to deborah kerr just kind of whipping it back and forth while they're at a on the beach he's just bam 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 answering her as fast as he can every time and the the words that are said again not to step on the tarantino is just it, it's like is filmmaking you know it's movie is movie it's it's so it's so old Hollywood. It's so, uh, all these things that you think of when you think of movies, it just, your brain gets scattered like I am right now. And it just like takes your breath away. Uh, there's stuff that happens with Maggio later in the film where you're like, this is why I watch movies is to hear people this passionate and this into what they're saying. And it does, it, it does that tenfold. And it's a, it's a war movie. Where movies tend to do well if they're made well, you know, if they're if they're passable, they're gonna they're gonna show up at the Oscars. They're gonna show up and they're gonna make some noise. You know, something like 1917 is a movie I thought about a lot. You know, Saving Private Ryan. These movies, these movies will do well. They'll get their nominations, and then if they're like you said, pushing the envelope <laughs> and playing with ideas that are just so advanced for its time. Then yeah, you got it. You got to give that a best picture win or nomination because it's 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 art and ideas and all these things intertwined with so many cool performances. Uh, the PSH here is is not easy to choose. 
Yeah. And, and, and that, that's, it has all of those things, you know, even 1917 doesn't have like that crazy, those crazy performances inside of it. It's more about the Deacon's experience and the, you know, the direction of uh, Sam Mendes. But this movie has it all. It has it all. It immediately goes into a conversation of, whoa, this is one of my favorite war movies. I got to, I got to really think about that. When I think about war movies, this is going to be one I talk about when someone asks me, well, you know, oh, I love Inglorious Bastards, you know, this and that. But like from here to eternity is going to be in there now. And I'm very grateful for that. I, I think it has Oscar written all over it and it also has Connor and Austin written all over it because it's just for fans. You know, it's for us. Uh, I, I, I love when that be, happens. There can still be films, you know, made over 50 years ago that are for film fans like us that still resonate with us that we can still. Oh, it's the best. Fantastic. It's the best. This, this past month, Rear Window, I, I'm so glad we got to do that. That is a movie that if, if you really want to dive into something, that is it. You know, of the past five movies we've done, that is the one. <laughs> you have to see that movie. You know, it is like mind-bogglingly entertaining. And if it came out today, it would just, it would crush it. You know, it would crush it just like it did then. And I think that about From Here to Eternity to an extent. Uh, with that being said, let's get to our awards, man. Okay. I, I love how our ranking was the exact same. I kind of felt that was going to happen because it's very clear, especially five and one, the robe is way back and from here to eternity is way up. Yeah. Interesting. You got that. And I, it's always weird to see a movie that, cause there's been a ton of films I've watched that have been nominated for best picture that I thought were okay. That didn't quite deserve the nomination, but there's only been a handful of films that I thought straight up sucked. <laughs> and yeah. The robe is on that list. Now I'm going to look at that and be like, why are you here? How did you yeah. get invited to this party? <laughs> yeah. And, and we, yeah, we've, we kind of trashed uh, like chariots of fire and chariots of fire is nowhere near as bad as the robe. Nowhere near it. <laughs> oh. Sucks. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so what awards are we giving out today? <sighs> yeah, we got the Quentin Tarantino for best line or quote. We got the Ennio Morricone for best music moment. We got the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance. Look out. This movie's got a lot of good ones. And we have the Deacons, the Roger Deacons for best scene of the movie. So I'll let you start off with your Tarantino. Let's do this. I have two lines for my Tarantino. Um, yeah. They're both kind of throwaway lines, but they're both, they were both very um, powerful <coughs> for me because I, I find it very interesting how this film tackles love. Yes almost like it's a disease yeah 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 which they didn't have and uh my first line is from pruitt to lorene lorene right why is it so hard to say that i don't know (laughs) but i've i've I've, i had a difficult time i was saying it last night so i was like wait alma's lorene (laughs) you want to say lorene but it's not lorene it's lorene uh so pruitt says to lorene um a man loves a thing. Don't mean it got to love him back. Ooh. Ooh. Cause you know, I think we've all experienced unrequited love at one point in our lives and it fucking sucks. And it does feel like, you know, I, I wish I didn't have this. This is ruining my life. Get it out of me. And it's, it's weird to see a film reflect that. Cause you don't see that at all in Hollywood. Love is the ultimate attainable, you know, unattainable or attainable goal. It's everybody's lot in life. It's what everybody wants. So for a film of 1953 to say, get it away from me, I don't want it, to love, 
really got my attention. Yeah, it's it's honest. It's honest. Yeah. It's an, that's such an honest line about the human experience. Where, yeah, you're like, ah, fuck, this is exhausting. And then it makes you think about all those things where you, you, in, in in with love comes probably a relationship, and you now have to commit your own time to it. It, it immediately makes you, oh, do I want to get defensive because oh, I don't want to, I don't want to let anybody in because then I got to, you know, then I got to put all this commitment in. And it seemed like these characters in this, this screenplay knew what that feels like. Yeah. And yeah. Great, great pick. I almost chose that. Uh, and then my second line is the exact same thing, but from uh, Warden to Karen, I wish I didn't love you. Maybe I could enjoy life again. Yeah. Bang. Like, <laughs> it's almost like it's not love. It's fucking lust, but it's just to have these two guys, you know, Usually when you have two separate stories kind of going at the same time that never connect, it doesn't work, but this, it works here. And I can't quite figure out why or how, but it, it works. And uh, yeah, both of both stories end up just, you know, with a tragic ending because that's the way life works out. Sometimes war gets in the way of love. Hmm. Love it, man. God, I, I, I definitely thought about the, both of those because they, they, they just stand out on that, that front. The, the love, just what it means to Fred Zinneman and Daniel Teradash in this movie and these characters, <clears throat> quite fascinating. But, you know, I'm a sucker for Burt Lancaster. Uh, I'm a sucker for this character, Sergeant Milton Morden. Uh, and there's one line that's just too funny for me to not, <laughs> for me to not choose. And also just dark and kind of scary. Uh, he says, uh, as Captain Holmes is uh, at one point walking out the door, which is basically his boss, right? He says, uh, he'd strangle on his own spit if he didn't have me around to swab out his throat for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man, that is, uh, can you imagine, you can imagine Daniel Day-Lewis saying that, right? <laughs> Just fucking so gnarly, so nasty, uh, but kind of true. Captain Holmes fucking sucks. He's a terrible, terrible boss to have. Has, has just is absent so many times when it like he's needed. And there's Milt Morden there to pick up the pieces. Well, the way he you know manipulates his his troops, the way he ranks you know ranks them by their skill in boxing, he's a fucking prototype for Colonel Nathan R. Jessup and a few good men. It's yep, the same you know. I'm in charge. So kneel before me kind of mentality. And that's the worst, you know, when you're in a position of power, when you manipulate it and abuse it like that, you're a fucking monster. Love it, man. I, I love, I love the disdain. Some of them had, you know, for Holmes, it was just kind of hilarious, but also how they were scared of him because he's the guy who's in charge. Uh, well, yeah. One of my favorite moments, and I didn't choose it for the, uh, uh, for the deacons, but it's when he gets when Holmes gets dressed down by the higher ups, and the guy's like, "I wish I could kick you out of the army right now, you goddamn disgrace!" Like, yeah, that felt so good, and just so I was good. laughing, I was laughing my ass off. I was like, "Oh my god!" He just lit his ass up. He basically was like, "You're you are no good. You are no good here. You're no good anywhere within the army. Please leave." <laughs> so awesome. It kind of reminded me of that scene in Billy Madison. Weird segue, but that scene in Billy Madison at the end in nowhere in your incoherent rambling 
<laughs> and he just lights his ass up because he he's put everybody to sleep talking about the puppy who lost his way. Ah, uh, nib high football rules. <laughs> Everyone in this room is now dumber. Yeah. May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> I award you. I award you no points. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love that movie definitely not going to show up on this uh podcast but maybe maybe another one who knows <laughs> um for for the ennio what ennio morricone award what'd you go with uh well i i couldn't pick any of the hawaiian music because it just makes me think of spongebob uh yeah there's a certain instrument i don't remember what it's called but there's a certain instrument that makes that noise that is just straight up the SpongeBob instrument. But um, I went with, just because it surprised me, uh, the scene where Pruitt steals the bugle in the bar and just goes ham on a solo and showed his skills as a, as a buglist. Bugler? Buglist? Bugle player. And uh, <laughs> it was just a, a neat little reprieve from his just absolute wall-to-wall shitstorm that is his life to have a nice little moment where he got to be on top. So I, I liked that. Oh yeah. That's what I chose too. So you're talking about when he's, when they're all wasted after the fight, after he fights, what's his name? Uh, that big ass motherfucker. Uh, I can't remember his name. One of the, one of the other guys in charge, uh, I'll find out his name, but yeah, when they're Gallivan. singing, when they're singing reenlistment blues. Yeah. That's, that is 100% one of the best scenes. And he's just, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm talking about before that when they're in they're in the bar, they're wasted, and the one guy's playing on the bugle. Oh, the like, why don't okay. you learn I how to you're play? Talking about outs- I thought you were talking about outside. See that I chose the one outside. Yeah. Okay, that's the one I chose. That was yeah, he's fucking amazing. <laughs> that was a very close second. That was a very close. Yeah, second. and and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It had to be one of those moments, right? Uh, I love seeing guys just piss drunk, and I think he says, "Why do they call you Friday? I don't know. I was born on Wednesday." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Just wasted. Uh, reenlistment blues, man. What a cool track. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love just uh, Bert on the other side of the plants just singing along to himself. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. And I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, that is a song by Merle Travis properly. But I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate. It's a really cool song. Uh, really, those are great moments in the movie. And, and, and then it just goes, goes into a whole different place after that. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, what do you got, man? This is tough. This was incredibly tough. Um, there's so many actors who could take this, this spot here. And going into this, I, I assumed who it was going to be. And I was wrong. Um, for me, the person who takes the PSH is Montgomery Clift totally fair as Pruitt this soldier who means well who is immediately shit upon because he won't box and the way he takes this in stride occasionally has his breaking points but the way he handles this is admirable and I like his character his character doesn't quite make the best decisions but he sticks by those decisions and really just you know it's his friendship with um Angelo his relationship, his eventual kind of pseudo friendship with Warden and his determination to not let them win. They will not break him. And it's, it's a great role. And uh, 
it makes me want to check out more of Montgomery Cliff's uh, performances, especially if he could outshine everybody, uh, in my opinion, at times. But honestly, there is no right or wrong answer to this one. Uh, it's really just it comes down to personal preference and how you're feeling at the time. Yeah, I agree. I think any of those kind of, you know, De- Donna Reed, Deborah Kerr, Montgomery Cliff, uh, Burt Lancaster, Frank Sinatra, yeah, whoever you really want to choose. Uh, which is why, of course, I went biased and went, went down the Burt Lancaster route as uh, Sergeant Milton Warden. Uh, he's, yeah, he's my guy. He's my, he's one of my favorite guys to watch. Uh, he, I didn't realize, I don't think I realized until this movie, how kind of strong he is. Oh the, my God. The, the presence in this movie is, is pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, he's got real broad shoulders and his like thighs are, he's like, he's like a horse in this movie. And, and when he, the way he puts on his hat, the way he smokes a cigarette, how he gets drunk, the way he call, you know, the way he talks, he says, it's not confidence, ma'am. It's honesty. I just hate to see a beautiful woman going all to waste. Uh, maybe back in the days of the pioneers, a man could go his own way, but today you got to play ball. Everything he says is fucking money. And I've just gotten used to that at this point. Uh, Burt Lancaster, even in that uh, airport movie, he, he's the only one who brings it. Uh, and, and then in, in movies that are good, he brings it just hundred percent all the time. And his scene when he's just pissed drunk is, I mean, it of course reminded me of Elmer Gantry, but is there a guy who plays drunk better than this ever? I don't, I haven't seen it anyway. Uh, I think Daniel Day-Lewis does a, does a really good job at the end of There Will Be Blood. Uh, I will drink your milkshake. <laughs> uh, but I don't think anyone touches this guy. I don't think Burt Lancaster has any competition on the drunk front. <laughs> I think because, you know, I watched Elmer Gantry so early on in, you know, what I've seen from his career, I always just suspect his characters to be up to something. There's yeah. always an ulterior motive in everybody he plays. And Warden's no different. He's playing his own game the whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, there are times where he's a, he's a real shit. But there are also times where he, you know, shines through. Like my, one of my other picks for the, uh, for the Deacons was the scene where he stops the knife fight between Angelo and Fatso. He doesn't have mm. to do that. He puts himself in harm's way in, in front of a known psycho. And it's like, come on. I love when he breaks the beer bottle. It's like, come on, try it. Like, shit, man, who is this guy? <laughs> like, who is this fucking built like Rocky Marciano motherfucker who's just here? <laughs> I would love yeah. like a little bit of backstory on who this guy is and how he got here. Because there is a story behind this oh, guy and his hatred Lord. of officers. And just like, I don't, he's fascinating. Uh, yeah, and he, he right, he he's uh like just a little bit ahead. Like Montgomery Clift, uh, he says multiple times, like I'm a 30 year man, you know. And you're like, well, so is this guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know they they see they see each other in that way where they just have this kind of head down. Uh, I'm gonna do this thing, but they cannot deny love. They both can't deny love, and it's this parallel story that's just fantastic. I'm glad we both we picked we picked one and the other, you know. We yeah. picked those two guys. Uh, 
this is a this is part of the reason the movie hit us so hard obviously you know this is a hard one to choose i i almost picked frank sinatra yeah i you know i love those kind of heat check supporting performances and he he kills it when he says uh let's go to a phone booth or something huh or <laughs> i'll unveil a fifth of whiskey i have hidden here under my loose flowing sports shirt <laughs> i love when so he, good. Shows, he shows up in his uniform and they're like why are you in your uniform he's like I'm, i was thinking of joining the army <laughs> yeah or, or when he's about to leave and he's like hey you're on guard he's like no i'm not he's like you should have got dressed faster <laughs> oh man god this movie's good man this movie is good and uh we we gotta do one more award but i but i, I really do love that we both we, we picked uh montgomery and, and bert those two guys are just lights out uh what what's what's your roger deacons my roger deacons uh came out of nowhere because i was not expecting this it is the japanese attack uh, okay pearl harbor and it's the beginning of it when the planes are coming and they're like oh there must be a demonstration out there because and I had to kind of realize like, oh shit, Pearl Harbor's about to happen. Like I had to have that moment of like, wait a minute, Hawaii, World War II, 1941. Oh shit. And they all kind of gradually realize this is not a drill. Mm. You know, there's bombs exploding outside, the air raid sirens go and the men just have to get up and go. Half of them aren't even dressed and they're woefully unprepared. And just, it, you get to see these guys spring into action as soldiers. Yeah. And it's, a, it's good. It reminds you just, you know, why they're here and ultimately what is going to happen to them you know world war ii just hit america like everything's about to change and i like that this film did that it brought you to that inevitable realization that war is coming like these guys aren't just going to hang out in hawaii for the next 10 years like they're going to germany they're going to japan like shit's about to get bad yeah and you get to, you know, I, I wish, um, I, one of my gripes with the film, I wish Pruitt had been more involved in that side of things. It sucks that he got taken out by friendly fire. I mean, God. Dude. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and talk about why he, why it was friendly fire. You know, he get him and Fatso's fight. Holy shit. That knife fight. Holy shit. In the alleyway when one dies and he leaves, you know, but he's still got wounded. And so he's out there running and running in his shirt and gets shot. Oh. I'm wanting to cry. I do want to point out, I've only ever seen Ernest Borgnine in like older post 60s roles. So to see him as like a fucking Hulk was, was weird to me. <laughs> it was, it was weird. He, he's uh scary, scary yeah. in this movie. He's, he's like, he's, he's prejudiced. He's racist. He's a nasty, nasty, like competitor. He's a nasty leader. Just, just a scary movie, movie villain. I never thought I'd be afraid of Ernest Borgnine. Right? Yeah. I think that's where my, my main uh, confusion with, uh, so wait, wait, is that, is that that guy? And I kind of looked it up and then that's why when I found out about his only uh, nomination and win is for Marty, I was just like, what a weird career. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But basically like, so the whole world war two, um, beginning kind of thing gets me, uh, yeah. And then warden's reaction to, to, um, Pruitt's body of just like you just had to play it hard didn't you you just you couldn't just sit back and let it happen you had to stick your head out and then just put the other guys like what you never seen a body before move on like just immediately cutting all emotion out of it but knowing in his heart like he drove him to this they they all hmm. the army betrayed this kid 
like from beginning yeah. to end. They got they killed him. The army killed this kid. And mm, fuck, man. <laughs> this yeah, 1953. So these like these concepts did not come up in 1953. It's bonkers. Maybe they did, and I just never noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to look in the right places, but it's just so interesting that it's this huge movie. Yeah. That won a ton of awards and was criti- it is critically acclaimed still. Uh, and like you said, the moment that it is in the movie is so crazy and, and incredible. But the, the, the afterthoughts of, oh, there's like thousands of other movies that, that are made from this, this branch. And it's fucking real life. And it's just crazy. I, I, I thought the coolest bit of kind of dialogue during that scene was when uh, Lancaster is like, put on a, cu- uh, what does he say? But it says, put on a cup of coffee, put on a barrel of coffee. <laughs> just like, Oh my God. What's well, I love him just right standing up on the table and like immediately going into leader mode and just giving people orders. Like shit just got real. His excitement when he takes down one of the planes, mm-hmm. like just Patton Patton. Yeah. Man. Fucking Patton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The George C. Scott, 1970 Patton came, comes out right there. Yeah. <laughs> so cool it's wonderful and uh i don't you know i don't really like the character of alma or lorene i think she's awfully manipulative she Uh, definitely is donna reed does a great job yeah yeah she does i mean it's not explicitly stated in the film because this was the 50s but she's a prostitute yeah she yeah the way they get around that is pretty funny you know like you can hang out with like leisurely with the opposite gender yeah okay <laughs> like yeah me, yeah single men and women on this island are just hanging out in a bedroom drinking cokes and swapping stories that's what's happening yeah cool okay <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my god but yeah when she just kind of like pleads with him like i'll do whatever you want like we'll, i'll go to the states i'll marry you and he has that flicker of hope in his eyes for a second but then he like he remembers you don't want that I love that. That was, I think, the best acting Montgomery Clift gave in the whole movie was that brief moment of like, she'll marry me, but then goes back to, but she doesn't actually want that. Like he remembers, he go, you know, he jumps through the clouds and immediately comes back to earth mm-hmm. and then has to go because he's a soldier. It's, yeah, very, the movie completely changes as soon as the, the airplanes show up. Now it's a World War II drama. Yeah, and, the way it yeah, the way it shifts gears is so smart and so well done. Uh, props. Yeah, major props. I I I can't argue that at all. Uh, I think it probably is the best scene of the movie, the most impressive scene. Uh, and I I uh, you know I, I wrote that down, and I also wrote down Maggio dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I I ultimately went with that. I went with Maggio. And it's that it's a culmination of of them being super wasted and hanging out, and that's where you have just a impeccable scene between Lancaster and Montgomery, where they're just going back and forth, both pissed drunk, and just kind of talking to each other. There's a lot of like philosophical stuff said, but by these two drunk dudes in the army, that it just it's just fascinating, and it's kind of what the the medium of filmmaking is kind of like is almost for to tell these stories and, you know, share these things that happen. And it's such a unique and specific thing. And then Maggio shows up. Right. And you can see 
Montgomery, uh, you could see him, it, it, his performance right there is really impressive because he sobers up, you know, this is, this has become something totally different. This is not just a, a drunken night. This is the one guy who stuck his neck out for me is, it, it, I think he's dying. And I, I would, I was shattered. I was shattered by that. The friendship that they built right from the get-go when they're playing pool and Maggio sticks up for him until then. Just what a journey where he does not give up. Everybody's like, oh man, he's one of the toughest. Maggio, he's one of the toughest motherfuckers, you know, people I've ever seen in the army. But he's like my size, you know, he's like fucking five nine and a buck twenty. And he but he just does not take shit from anybody. And to see him go was just I couldn't believe it, you know? And it was a really, really well done dramatic scene that could have gone, could have gone South. You know, you have, you have a lot in play here and these guys are acting drunk, but it just, it just works. Everything works in that scene. And I, 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 yeah, it, it brought me to tears last night when I was watching it. I thought, thought all about all kinds of movies that I love where like, there's a, a camaraderie built and then just, fucking taken away it's one of the best you know ways to get to a person while they're watching movies you know two people being split up in a in a, in a way that's not really fair but it, but is real and authentic and i thought it was really rewarding to get through that and then you have the movie really goes to a different place like you said it become becomes a world war ii drama it's almost like you know love dies with frank yeah yeah sad really sad it's like yeah like grace and love and the kindness goes with him you know and uh it was so satisfying for fatso to die so so satisfying because you just oh you don't see those scenes of him just beating the shit out of maggio but you know you know it's so well the way they build it up it's so mm, that's that's really good storytelling where they don't have to show you that they can save time in the movie but you you just feel it from the performances and from fat. So it's the way he looks at everybody. <laughs> well, also, you know, with that, my my expectations were subverted because I, you know, you, the whole movie you've got, the reason they're attacking Pruitt is because he won't fight. But then yeah. I thought, like, he's going to fight if they get Maggio out of the stockade. That's what I thought was going to happen. He was going to go to Holmes and be like, I'll do it, but get him out of there. But then, yeah. you know, with his death, like, it really doesn't, you know, it takes you in a different way than you think it was going to. And not a lot of 50s movies are that unpredictable. So, again, props. Yeah. Robert E. Lee Pruitt, man. I love that little bit at the end with uh, oh, yeah. Irene and Karen where she's like, what was that name? Like, she knows they have that moment of, of realization. Like, oh. God, that was so cool. Yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was a really good ending. Oh man, <laughs> into the into the ocean, the end, and there. Uh, I'm never coming back here again. <laughs> I think it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. <laughs> oh man, yeah, just incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Hats off to this movie. I, it's solid. Solid nine. Uh, I, I'm I'm really glad I own it. You actually got me a copy of it. I'm really glad it's it's never leaving my shelf. It's uh, a must see. It's an eight for me. Um, it is a solid film, great effort, great war film, fantastic performances all around. Yeah, yeah, man. Beautiful stuff. And next week, we're starting a whole different decade, my man. 
Uh, we're, we're done with the 50s <clears throat> as of now. We'll be back one day. We'll pick a whole new five, you know, and we'll do a best picture showdown on a totally different year. And, you know, I'm sure I'll watch some 50s movies in the meantime, but I definitely want a little bit of a break. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you have, you know, a a few ceremonies in the 20s. You know, you have the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. I see that as the old, you know, that's kind of going back. That's going, that's going real far back. You know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. And now, you know, 2020s are starting. I want to go back and forth between those. I want to take one decade from, you know, old and then go, go kind of to newer. And with you and I, uh, this will be our first time going to a, a more recent decade. I felt like it was right to do the decade we were both born in, uh, which is the 90s. And I felt like it would be really right to do episode 56 on a movie from the year we were born. So next week, we will be going back to an animated film. Yes, you guessed it. Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. Uh, a movie that appeared at the 68th Academy Awards was nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Music, uh, Original Song, and then Best uh, Score, Musical or Comedy Score. And then, of course, it gets that famous Special Achievement Award, uh, John Lasseter, for the development and inspired application of techniques that have made possible for the animation. Uh, <laughs> pretty nerdy stuff, but it paved the way for the Oscars along with beauty and the beast. I think, Hey, we need a category for these movies. We need a category to properly shout out these movies and honor these movies. And also tomorrow we have a Luca episode coming out. So it feels, feels right to stay in the Pixar world for about a week or so uh, with sneak preview and Oscar Sunday. So please come back next week and join us. This is a, a 10 out of 10 for both of us, a movie we just both adore. And it, again, it's, it's 26 years old, just like us. <clears throat> oh, Toy Story has been one I've wanted to do, you know, since we started it. Um, yeah. One of the first movies I ever fell in love with as a child. Mm-hmm. It's, it was the beginning of Pixar. It, because of that film, we have so many other incredible films to enjoy now. And amazingly, the animation still holds up. Toy Story still oh. looks great. Still is an amazing, fun movie to watch. And I, I Breathtaking. Yeah, I, I don't know how we're going to get through those awards, those personal awards, because it's like this is a movie that, you know, with uh, From Here to Eternity, it's our first time, uh, you know, or, or Anatomy of a Murder. It's just, it was just my second time, you know, uh, there's there's and there's other movies where it's just a handful. This is a movie that's been with us since we were born, you know, that has is in our DNA. How do you choose? How do you choose a favorite of each thing? It's just a diamond, a total diamond. And. You know, tomorrow, please listen to our Luca. We're so excited to talk about Luca tomorrow. Come, come with us because we'll be doing top fives for Pixar. And yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be in the Pixar world. You know, we, we want to stay there. So we're going to do Luca and then next week, the most, you know, the oldest, the first Pixar movie. So it just feels right. That's, that's awesome. I love that cyclical nature of this shit. Just happens. Yep. It happens all the yep. time. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, so Luca on tomorrow's sneak preview. This Wednesday, um, Austin's coming back to Filmgasm to do Upgrade with Caleb and I. Very excited. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, haven't seen that one since the movies in 2018. So this will be a fun revisit. Uh, can't wait. 
good sh- good shit coming. This is this is fun. We're going to the nineties. We got some some heavy hitters picked out for the next five. Oh yeah, uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Thanks for listening to five episodes of Oscar Sunday in the fifties. Here's to five episodes of Oscar Sunday in the nineties. Hell yeah! Uh, keep watching movies.